sing. Yeah, we're going to sing hallelujah. And the rest of church say amen. amen. One more time. Amen. God bless. We are happy to be here. We're thankful for God's continuous blessings and how he keeps spending time with us and allowing us opportunity to uh, enhance our lives for his glory and for his honor. We're thankful to have all of our visitors with us today. And we're always thankful to have our membership present because we, you are so vital to the life and the progress and the continuity of the life of this church. And uh, you may take it lightly in coming, but uh, we live in expectation of your being here every time we meet and always praying for us. Uh, thankful that you're here and trust that you'll be coming regularly. And those of you who are visiting with us today, we are happy to have you here. It's good to have the spiritual crusaders back in town. Uh, out last week down to, down to Birmingham and got a taste of Alabama singing. And, uh, and now you have to watch them. They'll be trying to convert us after having gone to Alabama. <laughs> uh, but we appreciate their efforts and we want to encourage them every way that we can. 
Lord kind of spoke to me and said, anytime anybody's trying to do right, you ought to encourage them. So that's what we're about. You may, it may not be your choice, may not be your pick, may not be the way you necessarily go, but if they're doing something good, doing something right and contributes, we want to encourage them every way that we can. And we've got to learn that lesson uh, throughout our church life. Today, out of the 12 steps, I try to mention one or two of them every Sunday because I think one of our problems is, a concern, the issue is, is that uh, people don't know what the pulpit is trying to do many times. And what are we trying? Why do we preach sermons every Sunday? What's the purpose of them, et cetera? And certainly not to kick people around, but I think trying to move in a concerted direction uh, with all force that we can and us knowing where we're going and what we're trying to accomplish and what I'm trying to communicate to you is very important. So we want to, today to emphasize the working to promote more effective educational and evangelism programs uh, because that has to do with the life of the church. That's uh, a, a footnote or note number nine on the list of the 12 steps. That's step, step number nine that we emphasize here today. And, and, and lastly, another one is uh, moving the church beyond the spirit of conflict and competition to a spirit of searching and consideration, understanding through hope in general and special moments. That's very important for us because we have been raised to be competitive uh, even with each other, within our families. Uh, we compete with one another, men, men and women constantly competing in the church one with another as to which one is stronger, who can raise the most money, uh, and those type things. And, my bent has been to try to tackle that as an area of family unity and men and women working together uh, to accomplish. We don't have to compete with each other to be victorious. We can work together to accomplish God's objectives and his programs. And I do everything I can to encourage that and hope that you will cooperate and support me in that. I uh, haven't said a lot about that, but we definitely need your support in everything we try to do that's right, and uh, that's what preaching is all about and encouragement. Uh, some of us attended the Elder Link program yesterday, and we spent a day and a half, so to speak, working on that issue, how can we uh, move matters along and enhance the progress and life of the church of us working together. Uh, we appreciate the joint program of, uh, of uh, purchasing additional chairs and tables for our multi-purpose room, a joint effort by the sisters and the brothers of this church. It's coming along fine on a fine way. If you have not participated in it and you are able to do so, uh, certainly we uh, welcome your support. And if you're not able to do so, we'll take you with your inabilities uh, and, uh, and keep right on moving. Nothing uh, can stay God's hand. And we've got to be ready to let God work that out in our lives by our, by our not pursuing our prejudices and our biases and taking issues with people when it's not really necessary. So I want to say that we're thank, thankful uh, for your support and, and actually on the multipurpose building, we're moving in that direction. All of us together, doing things together to make that ultimate program come out and, and it can be done without our competition and competing with one another, but allowing God to uh, be victorious in our life and the, the devil give us all the competition we can handle. And so uh, we need to be working with e each other. I want to express my appreciation also this morning for the uh, great program that the education department put off on our 
education week emphasizes a religious education week. A lot of great effort went out into that. A lot of good statements were made, and uh, we're certainly thankful for that. And we continue to encourage that in every way that we can. And uh, a lot of labor and efforts are made by members of the church, not simply of this church, but churches in general, uh, that the church could not pay for all of that if it had it to do. And, 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 and the more people give of themselves to the church and give to programs and not expecting a compensation for it, direct financial compensation for it, the stronger the churches are. I grew up in that kind of environment. Certainly it wasn't a perfect church, but uh, people, you almost have to twist their arm to charge the church anything. They just understood that they gave themselves and, and shared openly with the church and uh, teachers in our Bible school department do an awful lot of that by buying material, decorating the walls, never, never take a dime from the church, but yet it costs. And that's for that reason, I'm making an effort in my, in, in, in my programming and the financial planning of the church is getting calculations from these people, how much time, how much energy they spend, so we can see the whole picture of what we're trying to do and what God is calling us to. We continue to uh, solicit your support on our zone program. That is going to call for some real energy on our part to get up, but it's real vital to what we're about. It's one of those programs we have to succeed on. And uh, we can't succeed with excuses for not succeeding. Uh, we as a people have to learn that we face situations and there's got to be a solution within the range of our reach. Uh, and, and what can we work out within that range and accomplish what we're interested in doing? And that's where we put our minds to work. That we put our systems to work. That's where we figure out what we can do, how we can do what God wants done, where we are minus of some of the assets that we need in order to do that. Uh, we have sent our children to school. We have sent ourselves to school. We have bought these homes, et cetera. We have done it. Some people have couples, uh, families went together to buy houses. So families went together to buy rent apartments, et cetera, because one could not handle it. That's the thinking process at work. And I'm saying we need to use that same creativity in the church to allow God to allow us to march forward. So we just appreciate all that you're doing on the zone program. I know that we're scattered all everywhere. But that scattering does not prevent our being in contact one with another. Uh, that's a thing that would tend to suggest that we can't go forward if we allow it to. But technology has taken care of a lot of things. It really doesn't make any difference whether my fellow zone member lives next door to me or lives across town. Really doesn't. Because you're interested in pulling bodies of people together to accomplish objectives. And uh, we get outstripped by the world, by the world not referencing those matters, and I'll get anchored and tied up in them. I uh, served a number of years, as some of you know, in the military or uh, reserve forces. And uh, one of the, uh, we used to get together and put, put together war programs, war games, they call them. And when I'd go off on two weeks of active duty, we'd have an assignment, what we were going to do. And uh, in one of those two weeks, I was a chaplain of my unit, uh, and we found at the 818th Hospital Center, that was a center for multiple uh, military units, et cetera. And uh, under that hospital center, Many military hospitals operated. 
and my responsibility was to guide the uh, chaplaincy in all of those hospitals. It didn't make any difference where they were, how far apart they were, but my responsibility was to uh, be sure that there was coordination and they took assignments from me and the war games we played, some uh, 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 units may be in Russia and the other ones might be in Germany, some down in Australia. I never saw those folk, but yet I was in contact with them through technology. I had the assignment of being the supervisory chaplain of uh, the uh, uh, largest army units you could put together. And uh, I made those assignments and we never had problems because we didn't see each other. And we in the church need to learn that technique. I don't have to see Bradshaw every day to do something with him. I don't have to see Brother Banks every day to talk to him and accomplish things. In spite of the disadvantages that we're at, we allow Christ to raise us above levels of disadvantages and accomplish the objective of God. It takes smart people, thinking folk, people of insight to lead and to populate and to progress God's church. We've got to be more than a body of people who complain and make excuses for not doing it and get it done. Practically every night up until 11, 12 o'clock, many times I'm on the phone making phone calls, etc. It's way beyond my day of work, etc. Because my sitting there and not doing it and complaining about the difficulty is not going to get anything done. So we got to get out of our little cubby holes if we're going to work for the Lord, if we're going to work for our families, we're going to work for this church, dissipate every excuse that there is. And in spite of the obstacles, be victorious. That's the kind of commitment it's going to require in this church for it to be what God wants it to be. We got to have people committed to the ministry of what this church is about. And regardless of where they live, and regardless of the difficulties, they find ways to accomplish those objectives. I know that's a tremendous challenge, may not even make any sense to you. But as long as we operate on a plane of understanding and comprehension that is inferior to the larger world of which we are a part, we can't talk to that world because they think on a different level from us. And they're not around making excuses. Coca-Cola operates all over the world and has no problem doing it. And whatever obstacles come up, they find ways to transcend those obstacles. Whatever problems is between us and this church, we have to find ways to transcend that and get above that. If you have a problem with me because I'm a man, that's something I can't change and don't want to change. Don't wish to change. I don't see where it's necessary for me to change that to get along with you. So the problem that you have in dealing with me as a man or me dealing with you as a woman or dealing with this family, we have to transcend those things. And that was requiring a little deeper thinking on your part. But one of our problems has been in the church is that we can't get off the point of knowledge and understanding. We preach the gospel, you hear the gospel, you believe the gospel, 
You obey hearing the gospel, but it's difficult to get us up to work on based on what we know. And that's why our problem is. It's not that we don't know. We know, but we won't do. And we have been a listening people, especially those of us in my fellow, our fellowship, tent meetings and so forth, preaching the gospel every night and so forth, and us hearing it, seeing the, the error of our denominational friends, etc., and would attack that effort. But we have, they have not used the same kind of tenacity about ourselves to make ourselves do what God asks us to do. And it's not done simply because we agree with it. We've got to move ourselves off the bench into realities of life. And that's the great challenge that stands before this great church. And it's what I'm interested in seeing us doing, making my contribution to making that a reality. It's a real pleasure to have had Brother Rucker uh, lead us on a great prayer a few Sundays ago and to be singing today. Uh, we appreciated a great deal. I consider the, I told him he, he doesn't know how to take it, but I, I told him I consider it an honor to have my grandson active in the church while I'm preaching. He doesn't know what to do. He wants to go under the bench when I say that, but, but uh, it's just, a, just an honor that to, for you to have your children active in the church and, uh, and Brother Jeffries and all of our young people, uh, the great work that you do, we, we are highly appreciative of that. And we want you interwoven into the fiber, fabric of the church in a real sense, not somebody on the sideline, but somebody who's a part of the living tenacity of our church. Great to see Brother Juan Jeffries here this morning. Uh, grew up and did all of his uh, preparation to make all that money he makes. Uh, <laughs> uh, he said that day hadn't come yet, but he went to college here. Grandma, <laughs> grandmother lives here, and we're just real glad uh, to have him. Now, what I want to do today, and I hope not to be long, uh, is I try to speak to problems as we have them. And I'm using Saul today for our consideration. Saul, Samuel, 1 Samuel 13, chapter verses uh, 6 through 11. Uh, and I named the sermon, Just Trying to Do My Job. And I want to call attention to the fact of your innocence does not necessarily free you from violations. Now, I, I, I kind of like Saul. He's an interesting figure. Uh, he was uh, just elected to be the first king of Israel. And he stood, stood in the matrix because the person who ordained him as king didn't want him to be a king. See, when Israel said, make us a king like the other nations round about us, uh, Samuel said, God's your king. You don't need no king. So here you are asking me to allow God to use me uh, to install you in office that I don't agree with. Now, sometimes that, that has not been brought out, but he doesn't, he, that's not what Samuel wanted. Samuel wanted people go along just dealing with God and no man in between there. So uh, 
in my judgment, Samuel, Saul kind of had that on his back as he moved along because the person who has anointed me, he did it because God said so in spite of what he wanted. That's great, great, just a breakaway is a great service to uh, have the coals back home today. Uh, they finally got back where they belong. Uh, we appreciate their being here, and I understand they're having a nice time up in only Maryland. Uh, and I told Brother Cole when I saw him, well, they're having a bad time and only today because he's gone. But it's wonderful to have you. We appreciate you ever so much. Now back to Saul. Uh, Saul was the first king of Israel, and, 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 and Samuel, Saul is like me in a lot of ways. I'm like him one. Because when I read that story, uh, some of the stuff Saul did, I would have probably done the same thing. And that's the commonality and the comfort of people in Scripture. We identify with them. And uh, uh, Saul wasn't the guy who just set out to avoid God's promises and to fight his will. But he was going to go about his business of being king. I, I'd like for that background to be here as, as we talk. So therefore, I'm trying to call our attention uh, to the fact that God expects uh, one to operate within the uh, certain boundaries of faithfulness in living and in righteousness and righteous behavior even where one is required to make choices. The fact that I've got to make choices and they're adverse to one another does not relieve me from my obligation to God. That's what I'm trying to press. And you look at Saul closely, that's the kind of thing he's dealing with here that we, we join in the criticism of him about. Uh, even though that decision that I've got to make, hear me please, uh, involves possible error as I seek the process of daily living. So what I'm saying, we commit a lot of things that's wrong and that's in the process of our operation that day. We make choices that we wish we didn't have to make, but we don't have any choice but to make. And I, I want, you to, want us to understand the, the bind that Saul is in. And uh, uh, a, a very important person in our lifestyle. Humans are always before God. It took me years to really realize that. Not just when I want to be. Not simply when I choose to be, but when I don't want to be. I'm still always before God. And I am in all of that, uh, in his presence, expected to live according, according to his will, even though the process is one of routine living. Now, how many of us really think about from sunrise to sunset, we are under God? And that we're making choices for him. Some of which he's displeased with. And some of which he's satisfied. But the focus is on me to always keep myself acceptably in the presence of God. Because God is depending on me. He created me for express purposes according to his will. He put me in this world, in this pulpit... And everything I do, 
I'm subject to God for everything I say here. Everything I do. Because I'm his agent, even if you do not recognize that. Even if you do not believe that. And I'm absolutely convinced that a number of people never accept the preacher as an agent of God. Because the way you hammer away on us, you would never think that we even believe there's a God. The preacher is not an object of attack. As they said when Martin Luther King was assassinated, you can kill the agent, but you can't kill the dream. So if what I preach is right, and what Cole preaches is right, and uh, anybody else, Dan Sims, you don't change it by beating up on us. Now, it's another interesting point. What you need to do is say, how can I best go about encouraging the right that this man is into, even though I don't like him? Because my dislike of him does not justify my conduct. How can I be my wife's best husband, even though I have to do some things I don't want to do? It's not my choice, necessarily. That's the kind of bind that we're in. God expects us to be so involved in his will that we operate within the circle of his love and within the circle of his influence that the impact of his will, my subjugation to the will of God, leads us aright even in moments of indecision. Now, I know you may not necessarily agree with that, may not necessarily see that. But if God does not hold me accountable during the moments of difficulty and indecision, why does he con con condemn me? Why does he sit in judgment on my conduct when I didn't intend to do wrong, but I did wrong? Does the fact that I didn't intend to do that release me from the judgment of God? No. So what we're in the business of trying to do is so design ourselves and conduct ourselves and train ourselves that we're constantly thinking about the will of God. I don't mean rubbing it into our brain, but we operate under that canopy. And the influences of God are always present in our lives and helps us in moments of indecision. Now, in fact, what happened to Brother Saul when he made his decision, it seems as though he did not ask God what to do. And that happened to us so many times. We preachers are especially good at that. That we so relate to him, we know what God wants on everything. And we get so good at it, we don't bother things. Well, now, God, what do you really want here? As sisters opposing me, that brother's not cooperating with me, do we stop to say, well, maybe he's trying to tell me something? Uh, I had one preacher, was, a friend of mine was preaching and said that every criticism your wife makes against you may be God talking to you. <laughs> and that's not bad thinking. Because God got to get his message to me some kind of way. 
uh, if I pray to God to, to tell me certain things, to help me certain well, how do I get that answer? See, we kind of operate the whole thing in anonymity. It's just something we run through. We don't really believe God answers our prayers. We answer our own prayers. And we got to get beyond that. Where God is really directing my life. And I struggle with that cold. Because if I fail to allow him to direct my life, I'm lost. This is the battle of Armageddon. The church stands in the path. It's on the battlefield of Armageddon. The things that we got to do here got to be done or we're lost. Now, we don't like to face that. I don't like to face it either. The reason some of our families are awry, we didn't do what we ought to have done. We didn't follow God's will. We followed our own will. Now we're suffering. For everyone knows why God let all this happen. You brought it on yourself many times. Kind of reminds me of expected couples, couples expecting to marry and so forth, or people in trouble in the marital come and sit down and want to talk. They find out which way you're going. They won't want to talk to you. Because you, you're going to tell them to do something they don't want to do. And uh, sometimes the, your children just want to do certain things. They don't say anything to you about before they do it because they, they know you're going to probably say, no, don't do that. And they go do it on their own serene judgment. Perfect judgment that they got. And every child basically thinks that his or her judgment is perfect. And mom and dad are just out of line. And then when it doesn't all doubles up, it's a different question. So what I want to try to emphasize, continue to emphasize, that we are under the judgment of God all the time. I don't like that. But it doesn't change it. In today's lesson, we observe Saul God's chosen and anointed king falls short. Sister Eli, falls short of God's will because he made a choice in his effort to keep his responsibilities of just doing the job and keep on operating. That's what all he's doing, poor fellow. I hurt when I think about him. Have you, have you ever thought about the picture that Saul had, had to deal with? According to the reference, Saul and Israel was going up in battle against the Philistines. And after reigning two years, Saul and Israel prepared to go up against the Philistines. And Saul had 3,000 men. That's what this reference says. He had 3,000 men. And the Philistines, according to the reference, had 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen against Saul's 3,000. Been me, I'd have left the battlefield. (laughs) 
See, Brother Gibson let me think of the term I was trying to think about when I was talking about the largest military contingency is theater army. Theater army. That's the larger contingency of troops and so forth you can bring together all across the world. And when I think about what I did with them, it didn't make no difference. Some of those people, some of those chaplains I direct, I never even saw them. But they followed orders. And to come into Simpson Street with a few hundred members, all of them you can talk to them in two days and say, we can't do nothing, but we ain't close enough together. It doesn't make technological sense. I ain't condemning nobody, but I'm saying, you know, wake up! I mean, we got, we got to get this job done. And, and, and don't go back complaining to God because he came in. He knew when he made you the assignment. You can't change that. I can't change that. Saul couldn't change 3,000 troops against 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. Now, put you in that show. What kind of decision will you start making? Samuel had been there with him and said, I'll be back in seven days to make the offerings and the sacrifices. The good book says Samuel didn't show. The poor guy's left out there by himself. His troops are dwindling. He's outnumbered. And the priest ain't nowhere around. And the only hope the poor boy had was, get God in this thing. I'm just trying to do business. <laughs> just trying to do business. But it doesn't change. For some reason, our God is straightforward and doesn't change. He wants us to think as he would have us think. If God says it has to go a certain way, and that's what we're not really ready to deal with. That's the reason why we reject the message of the preacher, reject the message of the elder. Because if I can reject his message, I'm not obligated. But if I buy in on what the Bible says, I gotta do it. So in my own ways, I reject it, I ignore it. I lay it to the side and I release myself from my obligation. Now, I don't expect this sermon to change y'all. <laughs> and I'm not being mean when I say that. I'm just trying to be realistic and practical. You know, I tell folk a lot of times, ain't no preacher ever preached a sermon that changed me. And I'm serious when I say that. They say some things that made me start thinking. And it's just like a person who's addicted on drugs. You can preach against it all you want until that guy gets it in his brain. He need to do something about his case. Ain't much going to happen. So we can lay it out here for you all we want to. I can't make you do any of this. And you can't make me do anything. All of us have to be responsible to God and give every consideration to what's going on. And the truth starts scattering. They got scared. What's going on? 
and Saul uh, had not come back. Samuel had not come back. And Saul called for the burnt and the peace offerings to offer them. Totally out of his category, Sister Thomas. He had as much business with his hands on the sacrifices and making, making them as a bull is in a china cup head. That was not his part. You have to relate to God with what you got the way you can within the limitation God gives you. And I'm with you folk. I don't like that either. See, because I was raised in a tradition, as many of you were, that there are no specialties in assignment. There's nothing. The elder can't do nothing I can't do. Song leader can't do nothing I can't do. Preacher can't do nothing I can't do. And all, we can do all that stuff ourselves. If that's the case, why did God make those distinct assignments? One of, one of my issues with my brethren who are elders, if God didn't intend for them to do certain things, and the preacher does certain things, and the deacon does certain things, and the teacher does, why did he, why did he set those differences up? It's the way the equipment moves. And I call you like a carburetor, you like brakes. I need every one of them to do what I need to do with that vehicle. They are not the same. They have unique functions. The carburetor cannot do what the fuel pump has to do. And Paul touched on the same kind of concepts in the first Corinthian letter. Whole body with an eye, whole body with a foot. You know, we've got to find a way within self-examination to get a quality and level of cooperation that God requires for the church to move on. Now, you, we can go about creating other, other, other designs that's not biblically anchored. It ain't going to work. And even if it looks like it's working, you are creating something other than the church. You may get a body of people and do a lot of nice things, but you're not really getting God's will done the way God wants it done, and you get big bodies of people, etc. Churches beyond us and the larger fellowships got a lot of folk together doing a lot of good stuff. Saul offered the sacrifices because he thought that's what he needed to do. I love him. I'm sorry he erred. I wish Samuel had come on time. But none of that changed. And as you would have it, the good book says that the day, by the time Saul got to offering the sacrifice, who walks up but Samuel? And he got the nerve to come up there and ask him, what, do you, what you've been doing? That's what the good book says. What hast thou done? And Saul's answer was, I didn't have any choice but to do what I did. The people were scattering. The children of Israel, some were going and joining the Philistines, etc. He was in a fix. But Samuel said to him, 
thou hast done foolishly. You say, what? You have done, you have acted very unwisely. Yeah, but my life was on the line. I had to do something. And it shows you how deep his confidence were in the sacrifices. He thought if he got those sacrifices over, it would make a difference for him. The poor boy is doing the best he can do but messing up. And that's what I want us to understand. And it was significant enough for God to say to him through Samuel, I have rejected you this day from being king over Israel. It's over for you because you did not operate within lines. Now I want to hurry up and close because you listen patiently and show you another angle on Saul. I'm going to say to you, Brother Cole, my good friend and fellow theologian, <laughs> I'm going to say to you that uh, Saul had a way of thinking about things that disorganized his life. You know, children look like every time they make a decision, they make the wrong one. And for some reason, they can't get it straight. I think that's some of the problems Saul had. The way he thought about things and wanted to do them. He saw the efficiency within himself. And he really wasn't that locked in on God. He locked in on being king of Israel. And what this kingship requires of me. You're a teacher in the public school system. I can't get all hung up in that church stuff. I'm supervisor on my job. I'm a banker. And I can't fool with those church ethics and all that stuff while I'm being a, a judge or a banker. I've got to have me a system that accommodates what I do. Now, you just take time to think about it. You've heard me say a number of times, I say again today, and again, I appreciate your patience. The whole pyramid view of Saul's life allowed him to think about things in a way that did not end up making him divine. He exposed him to the wrong side of life. He was free to make a decision that God did not condone without recognizing he ever made a decision God didn't like. Kind of like I said to you about my children, your children, and our children. My children grew up in a home where they never saw alcoholic beverages in the refrigerator. They never saw them in the house, etc. They never saw any gambling going on in our house. They never heard cursing and swearing because of how angry we got. They just didn't experience that. Compare them with another family where all of that went on. 
those children can curse and swear without condemnation. It's called part of their lifestyle. It's the way they think. It's been filtered into their brain. I've met some people, and you have too, or know some, who engage in wife swapping. Know some folk who spend time on the nudist camps. Man, I'd die in my tracks if you asked me to go out there looking like that. <laughs> I, I just ain't got the stuff it takes to become a nudist. <laughs> I, ain't, I ain't got the guts for that. <laughs> you take off my top shirt, I'm going in the bathroom. But those people make those decisions. And the little, little secret out, one year I was in California, God said, I'm going to show you Los Angeles. I'm going to take you up to this place where these people practice nudism. Man, I got a whole way of, of naked folk. <laughs> I got my bag and got out of there. <laughs> but they have a problem. We the one got the problem as far as they're concerned. And start backing it up. Saul, whole life, and please hear me and consider it if you don't like it or love it, uh, allowed him to make decisions, his foray of life, his forte, who he was and how he saw things, allowed him to make decisions that were unacceptable to God. So it's not the me, me, Saul, that you're a bad boy, except it's the way you think, man. Well, you allowed yourself to grow up. Guy who beats his wife every other day, he ain't got no problem. I don't have a, time, a hard time figuring out how they ever get in the bed together with him whooping on them. Some guys got a whole lot more nerve than I got. Ain't it anywhere you get me to whoop up on my wife and then ask her to cook me dinner. <laughs> it, 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 but, but people who do it, they do it every day. And I read behind some men who, uh, 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 domestic violence, who take their wives as children and say they didn't need, they need a whooping. That's what they think. Now, in, in, in conclusion, show you this with Saul again. God told, God told Saul, through Samuel, to go up and utterly destroy the Amalekites. Why was God doing that? Because when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, they came through the land of, of the Amalekites, and they attacked them unnecessarily. But they attacked them, and God held that against them. And when the children of Israel got situated in the land, God told uh, Saul to go up and pay, pay the debt. And, 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 and Saul went up, he said, so utterly destroy them and, uh, and, and follow my orders. Saul went up and he, so I, I kind of thought he had a personal relationship going with Agag the king. It's hard to kill folk and treat folk real bad that you're supposed to love and you know. So he didn't kill Agag. 
he captured him, brought him back home. Uh, some of the cattle that he saw out there, just like us, man, these are beautiful cattle. Matter of fact, Sister Harris, <laughs> I, I, I need to use these and make a sacrifice to God. You know, now we're starting to pack God under our decision. See, I'm going back my off. I'm going to keep these all sacrifice to God. And to make a, trying to still cut the story down, when, when Samuel came up and he asked old Saul, said, has you obeyed the voice of the Lord? What do you think Saul said? Yes, sir. <laughs> Don't we kind of do the same thing? Did God asks for total obedience from you. Where are you when it's time for the sacrifice? Where are you when it's time to give to this program here and, and commit yourself? How can you be a Christian and not support this over here? That's the same kind of question Saul is dealing with. And uh, Saul said, uh, yeah, I, I, I will be divorced. I, I go to church every Sunday night. I go Sunday morning. I have selected what I need to do in order to obey God. That's what he did. I made the choice what I need to do. And it's tough, folk. I don't like it either. But once I give my life to God, I owe him the whole. And that, that has a lot of problems attached to it. Now, I'm just confessing with you and for you. That's a lot of problems with it. I say, I give myself to God. And if something comes up, God wants done, I don't want to do it. And don't do it. What's my standing with God in that? And uh, Saul, Samuel said to Saul, if you have obeyed the voice of the Lord, what means the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the cattle? And what you doing with Agag here? <laughs> but go back and read the text. I, I, I like Charles Saul's stamina. He said, yeah, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. After this man points out to him, you got the cows back there lowing, you got the sheep billing, and you got this Agag here, you still saying, I did the Lord's will. Now, that's just how stubborn some of us are. And determined, you can write it on the paper, you can nail it in our heads, we ain't changing. There's a passage. I want to read that one to you. First Samuel the 25th, the 15th chapter. You've heard it before, but now you're going to hear it again. And Samuel, verse uh, uh, 15, Samuel, 1 Samuel 15 and 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord great delight in burnt offerings? Fantastic. I've got to offer my sacrifices. God says to him, in things that I want done, which do I prefer? I didn't tell you about anything about any sacrifice. I didn't ask for that. I told you to go down and utterly destroy. Now, you decided that you need to keep some of this stuff down here and make some sacrifice to me when you get back home. I didn't ask for that. 
And that's the, 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 the placement of the passage. And you are, you are mentally competent to catch this. Behold to obey. It's better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. I don't want you doing something that I regularly require of you when that ain't what I asked for. Now that gets a little tight, shown enough tight for us. But if you put it in your system and allow it to begin shaping how you think, and how you understand and how you move forward, it makes you a greater subject of God. What does God, now God counted Samuel's disobedience, Saul's disobedience as rebellion. So you don't have to be jumping up and down and tell the Lord what you ain't going to do. Anymore. If it's just not to do it, that's rebellion. What, what's going on? Just living every day and trying to make a living. And trying to do what I have to do to keep my program going. Doing what I have to do to keep the ministry going at Simpson Street. Doing what I have to do to keep my job and keep my family together, etc. In the process, we tend to lose God. Brother Walter Woods and Brother Hollingsworth and Foy Hollingsworth and I visited the ElderLink program yesterday where I was a participant. And one of the things I said there, they would recall that, you know, we, we do all of these things, and I had, had some real high-class stuff there. You know, all of a sudden, out there with buttons, buttons and registering on the board, what our thinking was, et cetera. And the more I saw us doing this, and Realizing our competencies and what we're able to do and, 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 and digesting and, and reducing uh, what we ought to do to our calculations. And it's when it would be done. I said to them, you know, we aren't but careful. We are solving this problem. I hear nothing about the Lord Jesus Christ. And someone said, oh, well, as you know, they had that in mind. Like the guy said, say it then. Say it. You can't leave me to presume God's presence. How is God using us to use these things to get his will done? And hear me, people, we have got to always, Howard, keep God in front. There's no solution to any problem at Simpson Street without God. And I think that some of y'all kind of get sick of me saying that. All I can do behind that is give you some medicine <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can get well, because I ain't changing. The solution to problems of God's church is God's word. And I'm so thankful God has blessed me with people of your caliber. Everybody in the brotherhood ain't got the quality of people to preach to that I speak to every Sunday. 
I don't think all the smart folk are at Simpson Street, but I think we got a bunch of them. And you comprehend and you understand. You're so close to eternity. Dan, God's almost to get it done. You got him standing on the steps just waiting for you to decide. What is it that you need you ain't got? From whence has he brought you? Kind of like Brother Golden said to me, I visited him shortly after he was injured, and I hope I ain't keeping you sitting in that seat too long. <laughs> Sister Golden's head going up and down, I said, yeah, you're doing it. <laughs> but uh, Brother Hershey, you spend so much time, he says, in trying to make things clear to us, for us not to get it, we got to have a block. Because it's clear what you're preaching and what you're saying. And I'm saying God has, as they say in the country, God done brung you here. You hear me, don't you, Sister Cole? God done brought you to this place, and all you need to do is step over. This is Armageddon. For you not to move is to give the victory to hell. There's no reason why you ought not win. You got the armaments of war. You got the word of God. You got the opportunities. You got the building. You got the intelligence and the insight. Why are you failing? That's my plea. That's what I'm yelling about. Man, I, I'm glad I don't say I almost could have married Sister Harrison. <laughs> Struck pay dirt. God got it. I'm not worried about the will of God. Let's get it done. Dan Sims ain't got no more sense than teach his heart out every Sunday morning to undo everything you can. And I said, Dan, you're going too fast. You need to Brother Harrison, I, I, I decided I'm going to give my life to God, and that's what I'm going to do. And that's hard when he does that, and I sit here and won't move. It's not for him to have an opportunity to talk and me the opportunity to preach. It's to get God online. You got it. You heard it. Do you believe it? Are you willing to commit or are you going to be Brother Saul? When he went up against the Philistines or when Samuel had to tell him that you had no business offering those sacrifices? Do what God has blessed you to be able to do and what he called you to do. You've been ex extraordinarily patient this morning when I had kind of indicated I was going to be here for a short while. And I appreciate it ever so much. You come back this evening, I'll give you a break. <laughs> Let's stand together and sing our hymn of invitation. Dan's going to lead us. And if you're here who would rededicate your life to Jesus Christ, I'll put him on today in baptism. Arise there from the walk with a new life and be in this church what God wills you to be as we sing. Thank you, brothers. Let us haste, oh haste, to his bridge.
fount of love from the source above, and he bids us all freely drink. Oh, will you come to the fountain free? Will you come? Tis for you and me, thirsty soul. Hear the 